0: our society is not set up to care for these kids and families. Mm -hmm. And instead of our society feeling shame about that, parents (laughs) are feeling shame about that. You know, what parents are feeling is, I am trying to exist inside a system that is literally designed for our failure Mm -hmm. and then being blamed for that failure, Mm -hmm. which is
1: traumatic, Is your child's challenging behavior leaving you feeling exhausted, defeated, and hopeless? You are not alone. And I want you to know you are not a failure and your child is not broken. Welcome to Calm the Chaos Parenting, the podcast for parents raising strong willed, highly sensitive, or neurodivergent children. I'm Dana Abraham parenting expert, and I have helped hundreds of thousands of families just like yours. Each week, I'll share simple science-backed solutions to help you feel more grounded, in tune, and deeply connected to your child, no matter what challenge you face. Start your journey from surviving to thriving as a family at CalmTheChaosPodcast.com. Hey, 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 and welcome back to the Calm the Chaos Parenting Podcast. Today I am so excited because I'm gonna be talking with someone where I really believe that we're like peanut butter and jelly. I think we go together so well. And we just happen to be book buddies. We had books come out almost like exact same timing. And what the reason I've asked her to come on today is because while we talk about very similar things, we talk about it in very different ways. And so I wanted to kind of pick her brain and ask her about not just raising kids with baffling behaviors and challenging behaviors, but I also wanted to talk about the effect that raising these kids can have on the parents, because I know there can be a lot of guilt and shame around you know, that the parents hold when we're parenting these kids. And when we're trying to figure out our kids, we're trying to connect with them, and it feels like nothing's working. We can hold a lot of guilt if we have some resentment towards our kids, if we don't actually like the kid that's in front of us. And our, my guest today is going to be talking about exactly why that happens and what we can do about that. So I am so excited to invite on Robin. Uh, so Robin, hello, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for
0: having me. This is going to be a wonderful afternoon.
1: Yes, I am so excited. We could talk forever as we were talking, you know, forever right before we even hit record. I was like, you know what, let's just hit record. So Robin, for people who don't know who you are, can you share just a little bit about yourself and then... Also, after that, can you share why you're so passionate about helping parents who are raising kids with baffling behaviors?
0: I am a former play therapist, even before graduate school, really kind of all the way back to high school. Like These kids with what I would now call super vulnerable nervous systems, the biggest, most baffling behaviors, kids typically with histories of complex trauma has been my clinical area of expertise. I've worked with those kids and those families it really, essentially, always. And for most of my career of 15-ish years, I worked in outpatient like therapy setting. I mean, I was a, I was a therapist. I saw kids an hour a week um, and was a registered play therapist as well. Always did a lot of work with parents, which was a, sometimes a little unique for play therapists. But I did tons and tons of work with parent and parent support because... Well, one, we wanted, we were doing so much work supporting attachment because most of the fa- families that I worked with um, had, were parenting kids with pretty significant attachment trauma and loss and disruption in their past. But also because parenting these kids is so exceptionally dysregulating that the parents that I worked with needed, of course, a, just a ton and ton and ton of support on this exceptionally hard parenting journey. So I did that until about four years ago when my family and I picked up and moved away from Austin, Texas. We'd been living in Austin for all wait, I mean, for my whole adult life, we lived in Austin and we decided we needed a change. We headed north, uh, live in Michigan now. And right before, we we moved right before the pandemic. So what I thought I was going to do when we moved here and what I actually did when I moved here ended up not being exactly the same. And due to the pandemic, as well as just some stuff in my personal life, I've really shifted in the last four years, stepped away from doing outpatient therapy with kids and families. And now I support parents, through podcasting, through an online community, through this book that I just wrote. Um, and then I also help professionals know how to support the parents because I know you know as much as I do that mm-hmm. parents are constantly saying, there's nobody to help us. Mm-hmm. or The people that do help us actually end up making things worse because yeah, of- they're not... Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have, feel real passionate about that piece. I, what I really feel really passionate about is these families. I love their parents. I love these kids. I would, I I wish I could work with them all day long, every day. And also there's just this real stark reality that I can't work with all of them. And there's not enough professionals who, Know how to support these families in the way that they need supported. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of split my focus now on supporting families directly and then creating materials and training programs for the professionals mm-hmm. so that they feel more confident working with these families.
1: I love that. And your book is called Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors. And yes. I absolutely love the cover. I love this book so much. So if you are just Thank listening you. to this, head on over to the links because you're going to want to see the book in person. It's so beautiful. Um, and it it matches all the colors I love so much. But anyway, that's how I knew we were going to be besties. Um, we do but- have a <laughs> similar
0: affinity for this, a similar color scheme for sure. Yes. <laughs> you yes, and I. yes.
1: And so before we dive in, I mean, I think anyone who's listening to this podcast or has been listening for a while, they get what I mean when I say big baffling behaviors. Um, But can you just talk a little bit about what you're describing here and what would constitute for a baffling behavior?
0: Any behavior that parents are saying to themselves, this makes absolutely no sense. Like those dumbfounding, like they're like this, like deer in headlights, kind of like what response that parents are ha- maybe not having in the moment, maybe in the moment they're like freaking out a lot bigger than that. But when they come and talk to me, there is just this confusion you know it's a different level than i wasn't prepared for this in parenting i mean it's a whole new level mm-hmm. right it's just like this makes zero sense also
1: it's So like completely an example unpredictable when, yeah so like yesterday someone in one of our communities posted and they were like i am dumbfounded like what you just said yeah. my kid yeah. was brushing his teeth and the sister came up and just shoved him off of the stool unprovoked, nothing was going on. I don't understand. So that would classify as big baffling behavior, correct? For sure.
0: I mean, I okay. really think anything that leaves parents again in that level of dumbfoundedness, like sometimes it's the unbelievable lying, right? The like, I didn't eat that, you know, cupcake with blue frosting when I have blue frosting mm-hmm. smeared all over my face. Right. And yes. just this commitment to like, no, I, I don't even know. No, I did I didn't do
1: that. Um, my middle like was said- always like that. He'd come to me with like his haircut, you know, in the uh-huh. front. He'd have yeah, yeah. no bangs. It's cut all the way down to his to his skin. And we're like, hey buddy, did you give yourself a haircut? He's like, No. No, No. of course not. And I'm like, really? It just fell off. (laughs) Like what happened? It has straight line. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, or
0: or it's just even lying or behaviors that you're like, that wasn't necessary. Like if you had mm-hmm. if you had asked for that, or if you had told me, or if you if you had just come to me, like the answer would have 100 percent been yes. Like this huge like fiasco we went through to like get to this point was just like so totally unnecessary. Um, Mm -hmm. And then because I also have this background in working with kids who have had such significant attachment trauma and loss, those kids also have just such confusing behaviors of like that push-pull, right? Like, I want nothing to do with you, yet I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. you. Mm -hmm. And this kind of constant, you know, parents are telling me, Things like, it doesn't matter what I do, it will be wrong. And yeah. I'm saying, yes, that is an accurate statement. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not imagining that experience that is the experience of being in a relationship with somebody with really mm-hmm. significant attachment trauma. And it's this real stuck. There's no way out, there's no way to get this right. Mm-hmm overwhelm feeling. And so I have a lot of parents that kind of fall in that category as well.
1: Can you talk a little bit about attachment trauma before we dive too much further? Because I think if you're, if you've not dealt with this, then you might not understand it and you might not know what it is. And so you might be like, that's not me. That's not my kid. That's not what's going on here. And so can you just describe what it is and what it, you know, um, kind of yeah, just kind of describe yeah. more about attachment trauma so others can understand.
0: Yeah, I think we can kind of put it into like kind of two different buckets. And one bucket is kids who um, are probably what come to mind when you think about attachment trauma, kids who have experienced really serious abuse and neglect. They've, you know, Child Protective Services has been involved. Maybe the child has needed to be placed with another family for their safety. Again, kids who are experiencing abuse, maybe parents who are struggling so significantly with substance abuse or mental illness that kids' needs are going, you know, completely unmet like they're not getting fed they're not in safe housing mm-hmm. right they're com- you know very unsupervised i've worked with kids who have been found walking along a highway at age mm-hmm. 2 right because of the lack of supervision and so i think there's this this one category of kids whose parents have just really struggled to mm-hmm provide the the safety that mm-hmm. kids need inside the attachment relationship. And what gets so tricky about that is, you know, attachment is this biological imperative. We have an attachment system that we're born with that is designed to bring us towards our attachment figure, especially when we're in danger or unsafe or having a really, really big feeling. So if we're, compelled to like go towards our attachment figure when we're unsafe or having a really big feeling, but it's our attachment figure who is creating the experience of lack of safety or unavailable to co-regulate really, really big feelings that leaves kids stuck. In, I mean, there's this kind of proverbial scrambling of the nervous system as there's this, you know, compulsion to go towards, yet at the same time to go away. And that Mm -hmm. creates some stuckness in the nervous system. So Mm we would call it kind of like the one category of attachment trauma that generally speaking is not too hard to articulate or see. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we can also look at another category of attachment trauma. And I also want to say up front, when I use the word trauma, that's a relatively neutral word for me. Like That's not criticism. That's not shaming. It's Mm -hmm. just a description of an event. I believe all of us are always doing the best we can, including parents who are struggling to care Mm -hmm. for their kids. Um, And what I've also seen over my career is Kids who, for whatever reason, are just a little harder to care for. They're a little harder to attune to. Their nervous systems are a little more vulnerable. And, uh, or maybe even they have some medical issues um, and they're having a lot of medical procedures. And so they're left in this more vulnerable state of their nervous system. They're needing some more attunement, some more co regulation. And their caregivers are just confused by them. You know, they're sending cues that don't totally feel like they make sense or their nervous system is just so sensitive that caregivers are struggling to give like the amount of co-regulation that these kids really need. And that's nobody's fault. Mm-hmm. but that sometimes there can just be these, I would say mismatches, but what I mean by mismatch is like the needs of the child and what the parent has the capacity to give just don't totally match up, like despite everybody's mm-hmm. best intentions.
1: And Yeah, so, I was thinking the word mismatch too when you were like, mismatches. Yeah. I was like, that's the word that was coming to my mind. Yeah, so
0: those circumstances can unfortunately also leave you know, a child with kind of that imprint of attachment trauma because mm-hmm. they don't know, like my parents doing the very, very best that they can. They really want to care for me and they really want to do a good job. All they know is something feels really bad in my body and nobody's making it stop. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. sometimes Again, to the best of our capacity, there can be some attachment challenges that Mm -hmm. are residual.
1: I think that's really helpful, just as um, kind of a foundation as we go through this conversation. I think having that talk and being able to talk, I think most people think of that first category when they think of trauma when it comes to attachment. And the second category is far more common, especially when we're talking about kids that parents that are listening to this podcast are probably dealing with, right? Is there's that mismatch and um, there's that really sensitive nervous system that's misreading cues or reading the wrong cues or things like that. And then the parents are just what do I do? Right. And then parents are left with, I wasn't raised learning about any of this. And my parents definitely didn't understand this either. And so um, what am I supposed to do about this? Dana here. And guess what? My book, Calm the Chaos has officially launched. So if you enjoy the podcast and find the stuff we're sharing valuable, I'm a hundred percent sure you're going to love the book. You can get your copy at calmthechaosbook.com. And if you use this link, you'll also get some special bonuses. So once again, the link is CalmTheChaosBook.com. Thanks. I hope you're enjoying the show. So before we head into like, what do we do about this? One of the things that I think is so fascinating that I love that you talk about is the effect this has on the parents themselves. A lot of times we focus on how do we help the kid? How do we help them feel safe? It's gonna be really hard to help the kids feel safe if you yourself don't feel regulated and safe. So can you talk a little bit about the effect of raising kids who have challenging or big baffling behaviors um, that that has on the caregiver?
0: In my work, I whittle everything down to regulation, connection and felt safety from a relational Mm. neuroscience perspective there's a lot of overlap between those three things but essentially when we're talking about the nervous system then we're talking about the behaviors that come or emerge from the nervous system we can bring you can really bring it all back to like that person's you know regulation experience they're experiencing connection to others or to themselves and their experience and felt safety and I typically, though not always, I typically when I'm working with families, I'm initially talking about kids, right? That their, their behavior is because of their dysregulation or their mm-hmm. um, experience in connection or lack of connection to themselves or to other folks or, you know, their, their experience of felt safety. And there's always a moment I talk so much about kids from the lens of they're doing the very, very best that they can. Regulated, connected kids who feel safe are are doing well. We just have to get really curious about what's happening on the inside, right? That there is always this moment where parents are like, wait, I mean, if this applies to my kid, it's got to apply to me too. I'm like, yeah. And typically I wait for that moment because I've found if I... Try to help parents see that before they're really ready to see it, that mm-hmm. it doesn't land quite correctly.
1: Sometimes it lands. There's like criticism. Protective wall comes up.
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. so, but you know, I talk so compassionately about kids and their behaviors that there's this moment where eventually parents are like, "Oh, this lady probably believes that about me." Two, And then the felt safety really kind of increases on in our relationship. And we can start to look at a couple things. One is how is this parenting experience impacting your sense of safety, your regulation, your stress response system? Like how has, how have these experiences impacted your stress response system in the same way we're looking at your kids' you know your kids stress response system but mm-hmm. also how can we reframe the behaviors that you're having in response to your kids behaviors mm-hmm. uh because so often those are just you know completely consumed by feelings of shame or defensiveness mm-hmm. defensiveness is a beautiful protective mechanism against yeah. feeling shame and when I can start to help families take everything they've learned about the nervous system and then apply it back towards themselves, like, no, this is why you're freaking out. This is why you're a- you're you're asking, is there any way I can get out of this? Like parenting was the worst idea I ever had. How how do I make this stop? And like literally starting to make a plan for it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, feel so shame, you know, ashamed about it later, or just all these places we find ourselves in as a parent of a kid whose needs aren't like our society is not set up to care for these kids and families. Mm -hmm. And instead of our society feeling shame about that, (laughs) parents (laughs) are feeling shame about that. You know, what parents are feeling is I am trying to exist inside a system that is literally designed for our failure Mm -hmm. and then being blamed for that failure, Mm -hmm. which is traumatic. Mm -hmm. That's traumatic. Not to mention, of course, what's actually happening in their homes and the intensity of the dysregulation or the intensity of the helplessness or or the danger, like the literal danger that parents are Mm -hmm. in sometimes. And then they ask for help and they're told to set better boundaries.
1: Thank you for speaking to that. I mean, I speak to it quite a bit, um, knowing that I went through that and you know, just always wondering when the next shoe was going to drop or wondering if it was safe to walk out of the room. I couldn't go to the grocery store and just living in that constant fear of what was going to happen. But to hear someone else speak about it, um, I think it's really helpful and validating for parents who are listening to this to know that nothing is wrong with you if you are struggling right right now. Um, I think that there's this big misconception and this kind of lie that we're told as parents that if you're struggling as a parent, you somehow are a failure. Or if your kid is struggling with, you know, their behaviors, you somehow are a failure. And I think we just need to, you know, get rid of that concept, that idea that someone is failing because they're struggling. And so I love that you're sharing this. I think it's going to help a lot of parents who are listening to this. And I also know it's going to bring up a lot of questions. So (laughs) my question is, what the heck do we do about this, Robin? Like, how do we move forward? Okay, I get it. My kid is struggling. I'm struggling, but I don't want to keep struggling. So what are the steps out of this? Like, Unsustainable struggle. <laughs> that is the bajillion dollar question, isn't it? Right?
0: <laughs> yeah. So there's two. Again, Liz, I can I kind of think about two two paths here, and one is, and you know this, that sometimes there really are things that parents can learn, supports we can put in place, paradigm shifts we can make that really make a huge difference. Um, for parents and for their kids, right? And so there is a very practical path of uh, helping parents and other adults, educators, whoever it is, therapists, whoever it is, you know, in relationship with these kids, we have just learned, you and I, I assume, are approximately the same age. I mean, what we know about behavior and what it is, is drastically different than what we... Well, first of all, we learned when we were kids by the grown-ups parenting us. Mm-hmm. But even like when I went to college and I was a young professional, like what we believed about behavior and the origins of behavior and therefore what we do to change it, it it's just leaps and bounds different than what we actually know now, right? In 2020, mm-hmm. 2023 and the science. And, and there is, I think, a space and, and I see parents who are kind of new to this way of seeing behaviors make huge strides in compassion for their kids and compassion for themselves. And I, I usually will say something like, you know, finding tools that actually work, you know, like, I think one of the traumatic parts of this parenting is there's 9,866 billion parenting professionals Mm-hmm. And they all say something different.
1: <laughs> so frustrating.
0: So frustrating. It's a it's maddening. And, and that's contributing to the shame because it's like this expert tells me if I do this, it should work and my kids should be like this. So if it doesn't work, mm-hmm. clearly there's something wrong with me or something wrong with my kid. And then oh, there's this new expert who tells me something different. Let me try that. We've totally ripped parents away from connecting with their own self and their own intuition. And I recognize the irony in that, and that I'm a professional who supports parents. I totally get the this is very ironic. I'd like to think that what I do is help parents reconnect with themselves and reconnect mm-hmm. with their authentic child instead of... You know, continuing to just like chuck spaghetti at the wall and play this t- endless, terrible game of behavior whack a mole because someone says, do this, try this, try this, try this. And we just get, again, we like get so disconnected from ourselves mm-hmm. in this game. And so. I have seen, and I know you have too, like seen just powerful, amazing shifts happen when we can help parents kind of decode behavior, determine like what it really is, what does it really mean, and therefore get some better guesses about how to help. Um, Mm -hmm. And so instead of going after behavior with consequences or punishments, and I'm looking at it like, how do we... Support this child's state of regulation, like now in this moment, as well as overall, like in their whole life, right? Mm -hmm. How do we increase their connection to me as well as to themselves? How do we increase felt safety? Like, how can we look at what's happening in the home or what's happening at school? And that doesn't mean what's happening at home is bad or wrong, but Mm -hmm. like, parents aren't experts in the science of safety. I know a lot about the science of safety, <laughs> so I try to like have us come together. Like, mm-hmm. let me tell you a little bit about what we understand about the science of safety, and then you apply it to like what's actually happening in your family and your kid, and see if we can make some headway in calming that stress
1: response system. Right? Because if we could be that stress one example system, of um, that felt safety and creating that in the home. Yeah. So many
0: folks think felt safety is all about relationship. It's not. Felt safety is, relationships, one part of it, but we're getting cues of safety from our internal environment, from the external environment, and then yes, from the relationship. So I look at parents with like some real low hanging fruit of like, is your child dehydrated? I know that sounds ridiculous, but are they? Because dehydrated kids are more dysregulated. When was the last time they eat? What are they eating? What's the energy around food and feeding? Because so often, I mean, in 95% of my families, right? Like, there's contentious energy. Around Mm -hmm. food and feeding, structure, routine, predictability. Pick your kid up from school with a snack in your hand. Go immediately to recess and get in some, or uh, to the playground and get in some gross motor play. Let's kind of look at what your child is telling us about what their sensory system might need. And so we're seeing these outrageous behaviors that even look like relational behaviors. They're like lying, they're talking back, they're snarky. But actually what it is, it's just a dysregulated nervous system. So seriously, like when was the last time they had a stack? When was the last time they moved their bodies? You know, like this really low hanging fruit. But also, yeah, I've learned so much more over the years about things like neuroimmune disorders, PANS, PANDAS, Lyme and co-infections for Lyme. But, but even beyond that, like, is your kid tired? Like, do they have a mm-hmm. sore throat? Right. Like there are these internal experiences that are also negatively contributing to a sense of felt safety. So we just try to look at like the lowest hanging fruit possible that can sound really obvious. But when you're parenting, right, in in a state of kind of chronic chaos, you do Mm -hmm. lose sight of some of these real kind of basic things and a little helpful reminder sometimes can go a long way.
1: I, I think that's, that's why I asked. Cause I think that sometimes parents don't realize how there are these teeny tiny shifts that they can make in their home. And yeah. it's just going through that list of things that you just went through and saying, okay, are there basic needs met? What are there? What's going on sensory wise? Like, Are they feeling like they are lacking a skill here? And so they don't feel like they can do the thing that you're asking them to do. And so there's all these pieces we can look at that, yes, they live in a safe home. Yes, you are a loving parent. But there are all these other environmental things and other things that are going on with their systems that they're internalizing that they're not safe and it's adding right. to their dysregulation. And so by switching up just those small things, like you just said, you can see drastic changes really quickly. The other thing that I notice, and I don't know um, what you see, but I notice just when parents pause and start noticing their own energy. So for, for example, sure. my son used to immediately be triggered if he assumed someone was angry. Only if he assumed. He didn't actually, like if there was any perception of danger to him, someone being angry, then he would lash out and he would lash out what seemed like out of nowhere. But once I started kind of pausing and paying attention, I noticed that on my tired days, he was more agitated and more grumpy and he would lash out more. And it was because my voice actually changed the tone yep. of my voice was just like low and groggy and my yep. eyes would be like kind of shut. And so yep. once I started noticing that, I was able to say, oh, hon, I'm really tired today. So if you yeah. notice my voice being groggy or if um, I don't answer you, it's because I didn't sleep well last night. I just need you to know that. And things would drastically change throughout the day. Now, I'm not saying this is a, a quick fix or it's right. going to solve everyone's problems, but Sometimes it's those little tiny things that we don't even realize are happening because we are go, go, go trying to fix, trying to solve. And we're in this constant stress or chaos. So I love that you are bringing that up. It's really
0: helpful. And I know that for, again, some folks can feel like these little tiny things, like, like clearly you must not understand how bad my life is if you're suggesting these little teeny tiny things. And I get that. But also once things get that out of control, like those are really the only things we can do are these little teeny mm-hmm. tiny things. Um, mm-hmm. But the other thing I do, you know, I said, yes, like, what do we do practically? And I was like, well, there's kind of two little buckets. So there's a lot of practical things we can do to help families for sure. But also, it is true that there are kids who have needs and families who have needs that we, we are not equipped to help. Our culture is not equipped to help. Like the services that these families need literally don't exist. And if they do exist, they're inaccessible Right. Maybe like they're too far away or they're too expensive or they require this time commitment. That is just completely absurd if you do anything besides solely parent this child 24 seven. And so I think that is a a part of working with families whose kids are um, the most vulnerable is doing the work to. grieve that, that this is hard. Like that hard is like the most ridiculous word. It's not even hard. Like it's a word that doesn't even exist in the English language, right? And, and there is no one to help. Mm-hmm. Nobody's mm-hmm. coming to fix this problem. And finding ways to be with that truth actually helps our nervous system feel better it feels, there's this sense of like, oh my gosh, that's going to leave me in hopelessness or helplessness and, and I'm going to feel even worse. But there's actually a way that if we can just kind of come into, like the science word would be like congruent with reality. Like this is reality. Let's just acknowledge that it is true. Mm-hmm. That actually strengthens our nervous system. So then we actually end up with more kind of Capacity, like more, more space in our own window of tolerance Mm -hmm. to deal with everything. That's terrible because Um, we're no
1: longer fighting against it. We're no longer saying, "Why is it so hard? Why I should be able to do this? I I should know what to do. I should be able to fix this." There's, and so once we stop and we say, "Okay, it is hard," and hard, I agree, is like not a good enough word for this, but. Acknowledging, yeah, this sucks. This is not yeah. fun. This is not how I would wish it to be. And and feeling it. And when I say accept it, I don't mean like accept it and be like, get over it. I just mean exactly. like accept that this is your current reality. And yeah. and that you're the one in control of stepping forward and it's going to be hard. It there are going to be very hard days moving forward. It's not a quick fix. But when we think, and I think that's one of those you talked about how there's 9899, you know, parenting experts out there. And I think that 9890 of them are telling people that if you just do this one tip, if you just do this right. one thing, and then when it doesn't work, you're like, "Oh man, like, there right. goes my hope. And it's like, no, no, right. no. Remember, it is hard. You're in the hard. And so it's not going to be a quick fix. It's going to be these teeny tiny tweaks along the way yeah. until you no longer recognize the hard you were in. So I love, I just, I think that's so important for parents to hear. I don't love that we have to talk about this or love that this is the the tip, but I think it's important for parents who are in that really, really dark place to acknowledge to acknowledge where they are and then say, okay, here's where I'm at. I'm gonna feel those feels. And then like you said, it builds capacity, it builds your resilience. So you can take one tiny step. You can tweak one little thing and keep moving forward.
0: One thing that I think is so devastating about living in the frankly richest country in the world is that we are perpetually asking our most vulnerable to make the biggest change with the least amount of support. And, and so that's obviously happening with our kids, right? I mean, it's happening at school. The things that our school is asking our kids to do is like, um, mm-hmm. why don't you make these other kids change? Like the other kids have a lot of resilience. They're the ones that could like <laughs> make big changes and be okay. Like, change them so that my kid doesn't, you know. But but that's also true about parents, right? Like we're mm-hmm. like these are our most vulnerable families, our most vulnerable kids, our most vulnerable parents. And we are doing the least to support them while simultaneously asking them to be the ones who are making the biggest changes. Mm -hmm. And I think naming that again, brings us into like, like reality. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, this is madness. Of course, I feel this way. Of course, nothing is getting better at my house because people are asking me, to do something different while giving me zero help to Mm -hmm. actually do it. Which I realize is not the same as actually giving you help. I wish I could go to all these families' homes and give them practical boots on the ground help. I can't do that. But I think recognizing the absurdity of how we're continually asking the most vulnerable folks to be the ones making the biggest changes kind of does bring this breath of like, oh, that's
1: insane. Uh, That's why this is hard. (laughs) So I'm not making this up. This is why this is hard. I think absolutely that is so helpful for people to hear that Um, and to know that it's okay for it to be hard and that they're not they're not imagining things. I think sometimes we feel like we're imagining it when it's just so darn hard and we feel like we're the only ones. So even just hearing you say that there are others going through this can be really helpful. Um, so what, you know, something I love asking all of our guests is if and I know that you've done some of this with us before we've had our expert secret series, but if you were sitting with one of these parents or, um, with one of the kids and, and you could speak just for one to two minutes and they could only get one thing from you and nothing else. What is the one thing that you hope they, they get from, from this chat or one thing that they hear um, as they go forward today,
0: even though this doesn't feel like practical information at all, I actually think the most important thing we do when parenting kids with this level of vulnerability is believe in our, our core and help them believe as well that there's nothing wrong with them, that mm-hmm. all behavior makes perfect sense. When I lean into my training as a play therapist, nothing was more important than crossing the hurdle of there is nothing wrong with me. I can actually even build a relationship with the parts of me that are holding these hardest behaviors. And there's no, actually, that is crucial. That is 100% crucial in having any kind of shift or change happen in the nervous system. And we can't do that until there is a sense of all these behaviors make sense and I'm going to think about them with some curiosity instead of some shame. Now, little kids Mm -hmm. aren't sitting there going, oh, let me be curious about these parts of myself. That's not how it works at all. But (laughs) kids are doing this in other ways. Mm-hmm. It, through their play and just through like the the way they think in metaphor, the way they do I mean, there's just lots of different ways a child's brain is doing this act of being with themselves and believing that all behavior makes sense. Now that doesn't mean all behavior's okay. Not in any way, shape, or form. But kids believe that because the grown-ups believe that. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know that's not a very practical tool, but it is the most important thing.
1: Mm, I love that. Now, Robin, you have got this amazing book raising kids with big baffling behaviors and you have got a podcast and you've got courses and all sorts of amazing resources, can you tell listeners where to find you, where to find out more so that they can follow along? Because like I said, peanut butter and jelly, guys, you need both of these books. They go hand in hand. Uh, Robin is absolutely phenomenal and I hope that you guys will all go check her out. So Robin, tell everyone where to go check you out. The easiest place to find me is just on my website,
0: which is just robingoble.com. And from there, you can find my podcast, which you could, of course, just search for in your podcast app, The Baffling Behavior Show. The book, Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, is is anywhere that you would buy a book. And then I do have a tab on my website that is called, it's free resources. And it is exactly that. It is just ads of downloadable, you know, free ebooks, webinars, infographics, things you could give to, you know, a partner who's struggling to kind of come along or to a teacher. Um, So I work really hard to make so much stuff free and easily accessible. And you can get to it all over on my website.
1: That's wonderful. And we will link that in the show notes. So be sure to go to CalmTheChaosPodcast.com so you guys can grab all of those amazing resources that Robin has for you uh, and grab a copy of her book. Now, we are big on taking a next step here at Calm the Chaos. And I would love if you are listening to this, if you would just shoot Robin or myself, or both of us, a little message and let us know what is the one thing that you're taking away from this chat. And the, this does two things. One, it lets us know what resonates with you. And two, it lets you know that you're not alone because we will be right there with you and you'll know you're not going through this journey all on your own. You've got me, you've got Robin, you've got our communities behind you to support you. So um, as Robin has shared It's so important that you walk away knowing that there is no part of you that is broken. There is no part of your child that is broken. You are not failing. You're exactly the parent your child needs. And so I look forward to talking to all of you on next week's podcast. See you next week. Oh, and before I go, one quick note for all of you who are enjoying the podcast. My new book is officially live and I know you're going to love it. So just a quick reminder, you can go get your copy at CalmTheChaosBook.com. And if you do, you'll get some cool bonuses as well. Once again, get your copy at CalmTheChaosBook.com and I'll see you next week.